turn with your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We're about to finish the book of Romans, and uh, as you know, we go verse by verse until we finish the book, and then we go to the next book. So uh, I'm praying now about what the next book is. If you have suggestions, I will listen to your suggestions if you would like to make some. Uh, historically have gone from a New Testament book to an Old Testament book and back and forth, but I don't have to do that. I'm afraid about several different ones. I won't tell you yet what they are, but uh, we've been in Romans quite a while. We're in chapter 16, the last book of Romans. We're starting today in verses 1 and 2. The title of this message is, Do You Have a Spirit of Phoebe? Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who was a servant of the church in Kentria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. I just want to look at four things it tells us about Phoebe today and think about how we are like Phoebe or want to be like Phoebe. He starts out in verse 1, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church, that you may receive her in the Lord in the manner worthy of a saint. And so it first calls her a saint. And it calls her a saint because she was saved. If you know what it means to be a saint, it, the, the word literally means holy one. It means somebody who gets saved from their sins and they become like Jesus. They become a person who is holy in, in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Phoebe was saved. Now, that probably wasn't the case from where she was said to come from. She comes from Kentria, uh, which would be a port town outside of Corinth. And we know that in that town there would have been lots of false deities and false worship of what today in lots of TV shows and movies is called the gods, which we know is not real. There's only one real god. Uh, but there would have been there in her town the Temple of Diana and the Temple of Aphrodite. And she likely would have been named after one of these because the name Phoebe is, is known to be a heathen name. It would be a name after the gods. Her name uh, literally means light, which she would have been compared to the sunlight or the moonlight, which would have been those two gods of the sun and gods of the moon in particular. So she probably was not born into a family, we don't know that, but not born into a family that was Christian. Uh, she le at least grew up in a town where the society was predominantly not saved, yet somewhere along the line, Phoebe obviously did get saved. And being saved is when you come under the authority of Jesus Christ. When you, uh, when you get saved, you confess you're a sinner, that you have sins, and you need Jesus to forgive you of those sins. And you come to him, and you just simply call on his name. I remember when I was a young man, and I, I grew up in a, in a kind of a dark home, and I first heard about Jesus when I was 15 years old, and People kept talking about being saved, but nobody ever explained to me what being saved was. And then when they finally did explain it to me, it seemed too simple. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty simple, but really, uh, it's hard to do. 
if you've not done it. You get to the place where you know you need God in your life more than anything else. And then finally you realize, if I don't get God, I'm not going to make it. And so you find yourself in your house or in your car or outside or somewhere, and finally one day you just cry out to God and you say, Lord, help me, or Lord, save me, or Lord, forgive me. Uh, you fill in the blank. You just cry out to God, and, and in that cry, you call upon the name of the Lord and you surrender your life to Him. You turn your life over to Him. That's what it means to be saved. It seems really simple, doesn't it? The reason it's so simple is because God did all the work. Jesus went to the cross and he paid all the penalty of your sins and he did all the work on the cross. And so it's, it, it makes sense then that if God did all the work, he would make it really simple for you to get, wouldn't it? He, he wants you to be saved. And so he doesn't make it hard or difficult. He just makes it this simple. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And you say, well, does getting saved make a difference? You better believe it does. Uh, one of the things I know when God was calling me to, to be a preacher and I didn't want to be one was uh, if I didn't think it was real I wouldn't have anything to do with it this is real if you don't believe me you should you should have met some of the people sitting here today before they got saved they were a mess and some of them still are and they <laughs> got saved and Jesus is working in their life if you uh, have had a, a spouse who's not been saved and then they get saved it'll change your marriage You've had a, a child who's a teenager who's not been saved, and then they get saved, it'll change your home. A woman who's just been through that, the mom, she'll say amen. A dad who's just been through that with, with glory. And so there's something about this name of Phoebe I want to just spend a minute on since she was saved. Her, her name probably was not given to her for the meaning of life. It was given to her for the meaning of pagan life, but she comes to be, it seems... One of the great women of the Bible, this lady named Phoebe. She would have been the one who would have carried this book of Romans to the church at Rome for Paul. Think about that. This woman uh, would have been the one that Paul would have said, here's the message to, to the Roman church. I'm laying it in your hands. You, you take it to them and deliver it to the church of Rome. That's a pretty honorable thing for a Christian to get to do to carry the book of Romans to that church. And so she would have had a, a good name now. The name of Phoebe now, as Paul says in verse 1, he says, I commend you. I commend her to you. I, the word commend means I stand beside her. As if it was me, you, you treat her like she was me. I stand beside her. Uh, she's a, a real Christian lady. And so no matter what your name was given to you for, it would be good to know the definition of your name. Uh, how many of you know the definition of your name? Raise your hand. About half of you. If you don't know it, go look it up this afternoon. Uh, most parents, or at least the parents I know here in this church, you, you spend a lot of prayer, a lot of time, a lot of thought giving your children names, and the, the meaning of those names are important. And, and, and because it's biblical that people's character many times in the Bible follows their name. Did you know that? Now, some of... Some of you, I, I don't think you thought much at all about your children's names. You just named them, and I don't know where you got it from. I'm not going to call these names, but that's okay. Because God still uses it like he is in Phoebe's life. I, I think about Adam and Eve, you know. Uh, they had their first son named Cain, which meant gift from God, or the gift of God. 
Cain didn't live up to his name, did he? He killed his brother. Uh, you can think of people like Bar Barnabas, who, whose name is son of, means son of the father. He didn't live up to his name either. He was one of the thieves on the cross, or, or the thief that was being chosen between Jesus and this, this thief, this rebellious person. I want to encourage you to go look up the meaning of your name and then live up to your name. Uh, my name, my real name is Jonathan, not John. My name means friend. I've known that for many years. I try to be a good friend. I've had lots of friends. I joke with my friends now. If you're going to be my friend, you better be ready to die. Because a lot of my friends have died at an early age. Uh, it's not a joke, really. But um, that's what my name means. I was recently playing basketball with Abigail at her school, and uh, there was a guy I met. We were playing on the same team, and I gathered his name was Stuart, and I played with him for several games, and I kept calling him Stuart. I was like, good pass, Stuart. Good, good shot, Stuart, and I kept calling him Stuart the whole game, and then the next game, uh, I was going to introduce Stuart to somebody. I said, hey, this is my buddy Stuart. He says, Preston. <laughs> I was like, no, you're Stuart. He goes, no, my name's Preston. I've been calling you Stuart all day. He says, my name is Preston. Uh, so it's important to know your name. Know what kind of person that you're going to strive to live up to be. It's really important when you call yourself a Christian to know your name. In today's society, everybody calls themselves a Christian, and many of them don't live up to that. If you're going to call yourself a Christian then act like one, somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. As we go through this, I'm going to hope that you would grow to adore Phoebe and her name even. I don't know anybody named Phoebe. You know anybody named Phoebe? Raise your hand. We got one. Just one. I, I, I wish we had more Phoebes. Let's see who in our church next can name a baby Phoebe, okay? Send it. You ready? We could have one more. Her name was Phoebe. That would be her name. She was saved. Number two, she was a sister. It says in verse two, or verse one, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister. Now, sister has two connotations if you're in the church. It has a family connotation and a church connotation. As a, as a family, you literally have brothers and you have sisters. Uh, one of the things that we set out to do in our family is teach our children, brothers and sisters, to love each other, to be kind to each other, to, to care for each other. I would encourage you moms and dads to do that. Teach your children to care for each other in, in your family. Uh, but then there's church sisters. In the early church, the, the church was immediately considered a family. Let me give you two reasons they were considered a family. The first reason is because they came from a persecuted area they were likely disowned from their own family when they got saved. Did you know that? For them to get saved would mean their family would reject them, disown them, take away all their earthly goods, and, and sometimes kick them out on the street. We have missionaries in Russia who still deal with this today. When a man or a woman gets saved, they lose their business, they lose their family, they lose their inheritance, they lose everything. So then to come into the church, they need a family. <laughs> and they sense this family feeling like they've never experienced it before. So the first reason the early church was considered a family is because they were getting disowned by their earthly families. The second reason is because if you've been saved very long, you know this. 
you will never experience close relationships to the depth that you will with somebody else who's filled with the Spirit of God when you're filled with the Spirit of God. You know that? Two people filled with the Spirit of God will have a closer relationship in a moment than some people that grew up together would never have in years and years and years. That's why in 1 John 5 and 1 Timothy 2, the Bible says that older men are to be called father, older women were to be called mothers, uh, young men were to be called brothers, young women were to be, to be called sisters. Have you ever met somebody, a stranger, and immediately you were, you were seen to be joined together? Like, I really like this guy. I really like being around him. I really sense something about him. And that's the spirit bearing witness with your spirit and his spirit bearing witness with his spirit that you're both children of the king. And, and that depth of relationship is a powerful thing. The, the biblical family in the church is a powerful thing. Uh, my children have known this well growing up in this church. They've got to have a good experience of what I'm describing here. Having many of you, they called aunt and uncle. Some they even called their grandparents. As many of you know, we uh, nicknamed one set of our grandparents in this church that have now gone on to be with the Lord. We nicknamed them Ha Ha and Mimi. And uh, we miss them. We love them dearly. You say, is this a real thing? I know some of your children, Carl, Cindy and I, aunt and uncle. And, and we adore that. We do enjoy that. I want you to know that. You say, is this a real thing or is it fake? I'll say to you, it's very real. It's extremely real. Let me try to describe how real it is without crying. <laughs> My two sons, grown men now, sat at Ha-Ha's funeral and cried and cried and said, this is my granddad. This is my granddad. They'll tell you that today if you ask them. Uh, my two boys, you know, they played NC State football. They got really nice watches when you're for one of their bowl games. It was, when they go to the bowl game, they get gifts. And one of their bowl games, they got these really nice watches. But both my sons have two ha-ha's old watches. He gave one of them his work watch and one of them his dress-up watch. I don't know who got which one. Uh, they joke about it. But to this day, if my sons are going to dress up, really dress up, you look at them, they'll both have on ha-ha's old watch. It's a real thing. The, the, the joint bond of family in a true church. Look, if you're, here, if you're here today and you're visiting, you've never experienced this, you're missing out. Uh, I, I want to brag on our church and say this is real in this church. This family bond that happens under the blood of Jesus Christ when you have people who are really close to you and really close to your children because they are your sister in the Lord. I, I see it happening with some of you ladies that are together. I see it happening with some of the men who are here. You become brothers, closer than your real brother. Sisters, closer than your real sister. It is real. And it's under the bond of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a sister. In this context of her being a sister, I want to contrast the opposite of Phoebe. Because Phoebe was a sister... She must have been a person who loved well the other uh, people of the church. But I want to contrast here with a Jezebel spirit. I'm talking about a spirit of Phoebe. I want to talk about a spirit of Jezebel. I almost made this whole message a contrast between Phoebe and Jezebel. 
Uh, it would have been a really long message, so I'm trying to condense it. I'm just going to contrast this one point about Jezebel. If you know Jezebel from the Old Testament, she was a seductress. She was a, a woman who's compared in the Bible from Old and New Testament as a seductress. And I want to give you five ways to recognize a Jezebel spirit, spirited woman. Let me say before I get into this that uh, for years as Lighthouse Church, when we started, we began to pray that God would raise up strong men in this church. It was grieving to us back then that there were more women in the church than men. It's nothing against women, but we need some strong men. We need some men who have some courage to stand up for the Lord, even at church. And so we begin to pray for God to raise up strong, godly men in this church. And I, I praise his name. He's done that. And, and we have many here. I know that many men in our church, you know this, many men in our church own their own business. You know that? Many men in our church are leaders in their business. They lead their, their group or, or something in their company. They're, they're a leader. And so I'm making that point because one of the first ways you recognize a woman with the spirit of Jezebel is she comes after godly men who are leaders in the church. That's who she seeks out when she comes after them. Now, Jezebel in the Old Testament was married to King Ahab, and Ahab had a passive spirit. That's why she married him. And, and Jezebel is usually married to a man who has a passive spirit, but she desires a man who has a strong spirit and is a leader somewhere in his church, in his company, in his business. If you're sitting here today, men, and you own your business, you're a leader in your workplace, you're a leader in your church, you need to know you're the type of man that a woman with a Jezebel spirit will seek out. And when she seeks you out, she's seeking you out to kill you. <laughs> In the Old Testament, when Jezebel was married to King Ahab, she killed all the prophets of the Lord, and she sought to kill Elijah all the days of her life. Uh, number two, Jezebel's spirit. She's not a single woman. Sometimes when we think about a seductress, we think about a single woman. She's a married woman. Now, just because she's married doesn't mean she's with her husband all the time. Uh, some of the women I've seen like this that I would characterize with this kind of Jezebel spirit. Her, her husband is gone a lot. Uh, you know, there's, it's a very modern thing today for the woman to work here in one town and her husband to work in another town or another state. Are you aware of that? Uh, a lot of times a woman that's married to a man that does that is a woman that has a Jezebel spirit. Simply speaking, a lot of times he's escaping her. He's escaping her dominance and he's running away. Men that spend unusual amounts of time in a hobby or in a workplace or in a job or just out walking in the woods, <laughs> a lot of times they're just escaping a, a woman who's very dominant in their house and has a Jezebel spirit. Remember a few weeks ago, let me make this point lest I forget. A few weeks ago I made this point. Men want a strong woman but not a dominant woman. There's a difference. Men want a strong woman, but not a dominant woman. It's great for a woman to be strong in the Lord. And so maybe her husband's gone. He works in another state. Maybe her husband is away. Maybe they're divorced. A lot of times this type of woman comes from a divorce situation. Or maybe even her husband has died and has passed away. And so now she's in this condition where she's trying to 
gather to herself a strong man who is a leader type, and then she'll prey on that godly man. And here's how she'll prey on him. Listen, men. She will set you up to rescue her, to rescue her from her divorce, to rescue her from her husband not being at home, or to rescue you, her from her husband having passed away. And I believe this about most all godly men. We like to be a rescuer, don't we, guys? We like to help where nobody else can help. And so we need to be aware of that. That's the tactic that she will use and prey on your desire for her help. Number three, she is filled with compliments. This seems odd, but in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3, it says of the Jezebel spirit that her lips drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. What it means is that she, her lips drip honey. It means her, her mouth is full of compliments. I've never seen a woman and said, ooh, look at the lips on that woman. Have you ever done that? Now, that's just not one of the most beautiful things, I don't think. But what it means is she's filled with compliments. She's telling you things, men, that no woman's ever told you before. And here's what you need to realize when you start thinking, oh, nobody's ever talked to me like this. Nobody's ever said things like to, this to me before. There's a reason. You're not like that. You're not at all like that. She's just trying to compliment you and draw you in. She's filled with compliments. Number four, her end is destruction. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, Her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her paths lead to death, and her steps lead to hell. The end of her is destruction. That means the future with her is a future of destruction. Wormwood is poisonous wood. A sharp two-edged sword is is a sword that can cut in both directions. It'll cut you one way and then the other. Her path leads down to death and down the steps of hell. It is a road of destruction if you uh, go near her. Number five, the Bible says it repeatedly, run from her. It's what Elijah did. It's what Joseph did. You have this mental image. I have this mental image of Elijah and Joseph running from this Jezebel woman. Run from her, the Bible says. Do not, it says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 10, do not go near her door. That means don't go to her house, don't go near her door, don't go to her workplace, don't go to her neighborhood. It says you will give honor to others and your wealth to strangers. Here's what it says about this type of situation. When you fall into her prey, into her net, you will be destroyed. And it names these things specifically in Proverbs chapter 5. Your name will be destroyed, your finances will be destroyed, and your marriage will be destroyed. Basically, guys, everything you've worked for all your life as a Christian man can be destroyed in one moment with this Jezebel spirit woman. So beware of her. Phoebe wasn't like that. Phoebe was a sister. And I, I put this in the context of sisterhood because there are really good, healthy relationships within the church, between families and between friends and between brothers and sisters in the Lord. But there's a fine line between recognizing, okay, this is a Phoebe or this is a Jezebel-type spirited woman. You, you with me? You need to be aware. Number three, Phoebe. She was a servant. It says it in verse one again. It says, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Contra. 
She was a servant. Some of your versions of your Bible may translate this word deaconess. She was a, a deacon. This is very uh, <coughs> debated among modern churches, especially Baptist churches, debate this a lot. In Baptist churches, if you consider Phoebe to be a deacon, you're considered a liberal church. If you don't consider Phoebe to be a deacon, you're considered to be a conservative church. You say, what do we, what do we think? Well, I think we're a conservative church that believes Phoebe, Phoebe was a deacon. <laughs> so uh, how, how do we bring that together? If you read our church bylaws, there is room for a woman to be a deacon in our church. Uh, but it would be a married woman, not a single woman. And her marriage would be an honorable marriage, a, a good, uh, godly marriage. And so there are things that women do better than men. And there are things that men do better than women. And so we... We have uh, the role of deacon in our church is a, a position where you take care of a need, just like it was in the Bible. They were taking care of physical needs primarily uh, that needed to be done. We currently don't have any deacons. Uh, we, we didn't finish our bylaws in time. We needed some deacons before the bylaws were finished. Uh, some of you may remember years ago when we, uh, we had to provide child care. We had a, a young man in our church married a woman long story, but he married a woman, and then she had to go to prison, and they had three children. Anybody remember this? Yeah. And we provided child care for those three children for like a year. We should have had a deaconess in charge of that. To That was a huge undertaking for our church, and we should have had a deaconess who was in charge of that service for that year's time, and, and that would have been a great, appropriate place for that to occur. The reason that uh, people have a problem with Phoebe being a deacon is because in the modern, again I'm focusing on the Baptist church, in the modern Baptist church, the deacon is not a servant, they're in charge. Y'all know that? They're the boss after all. They rule the place. Now they may not admit it, but that's the way it is. And so that that's hard for the, the church like that to view a woman uh, ruling the church. But, but they're misusing the role of deacon, I believe, in that capacity. Uh, a deacon is not an authority, nor is a servant in authority. Let me give you a passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 28. Yet it shall be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve... And to give his life a ransom for many. Look what he says there at the first part of that. Do you want to be great? He says, whoever desires to be great, be a servant. You see that? Do you want to be great? If you sit there today and you say, I want God to use my life. I want God to put his hand on my life and use me for his glory. The Bible says then, be a servant. Serve others. He says, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be a slave. You want to be first? You're like, I want to be not just great. I want to be the greatest. I want to be the, I want to be the best in, in, in the Lord's kingdom and serving the Lord. Then he says, then you be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You want to be like Jesus? You serve this to this degree. You're willing to give up your life. You serve to this capacity. You're really willing to give up your life in service to others. Phoebe was a servant. 
She was somebody who was serving other people. Uh, let me give you another passage of Scripture that speaks this well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, giving me a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to be great? You want to be first? You be a, a servant like this. Esteem others better than yourself. Look out not only for your own interest, but for the interests of others. And many of us say, oh me. <laughs> That's a good wake-up call, isn't it? I'll give you a job description here for a church servant. I wrote this out for you to see. If we were asking for church servants here in our church, here's your, here's your job description. Wanted, a slave. Lighthouse, we want a slave. Here's what it is. Someone who will work like a slave and never complain about long hours and poor working conditions. Someone who will serve without pay or recognition. Someone who will give constantly, who will willingly relinquish all earthly possessions, never expect reimbursement for out-of-pocket expenses, who, who can honestly be constantly criticized and always return blessing for cursing, someone who can be mistreated, taken advantage of, abused, and never become angry or discouraged, someone who is willing to die if necessary and never take up his or her own self-defense, Someone who would do anything she is asked to do and would be willing to work without a specific job description. If this fits your temperament and matches your career goals, here's your number to call. I, I write that because that is eerily close to what Scripture teaches. Do you know that? Now, we don't expect that here at our church. Don't take that as some point I'm trying to make about our church because uh, many of you serve greatly here, and we know that. And, and we are hoping that you're not being criticized and hoping that you're not being taken advantage of. And we encourage you to turn in your receipts for reimbursement. <laughs> we do all these things. But biblically speaking, if you took the words of Jesus, would it not read much like this? Being willing to turn the other cheek, being willing to give up your earthly possessions, being willing to lose your, yourself, lose your life that you may gain. I mean, I could go on and on. Let me just say, do you think in your mind now, do you know somebody who's a servant? Think in your mind. Do you know, who do you know is the greatest servant you know? I mean, somebody that's alive right now. Think about that person. And I'll, I'll promise you this. When you're around that person, you feel stronger. When you're around that person, you're probably, you're probably a better person when you're around that person you have in mind. 
Their presence makes you want to be a better person. This is the kind of woman Phoebe was. She was a servant in the church where she was coming from. And number four, she is a securer or a helper. Uh, the old King James Version translated this word secure. I don't know what it means, and you probably don't know what it means either, so I've, our new translations call it helper. That's what it means. She was a helper. It says, look with me in verse 2, it says in the end of it, she has been a helper of many. You see that? She had a wake of people in, in her past, not who she had harmed and hurt. That's the way a lot of church members are, aren't they? You know that? A wake of people's lives they've destroyed or hurt. That's sad, isn't it? Not Phoebe. Phoebe had a wake of people in her past who would say, Phoebe helped me. That would be their testimony of this woman. If you all took up the mock at the graveside at Phoebe's funeral, many would have come to the mock with tears in their eyes and said, Phoebe helped me. And then they'd have told a story. Phoebe helped me win, and then they'd have told a story. That's the kind of woman Phoebe was. But not only did she help many, it says, look at the end of verse 2 again, and Paul says that she also helped me. He's not only saying, I know she's helped lots of people, but Paul, uh, one of the greatest people in the New Testament, he says, Phoebe helped me, and she was there for me. Uh, a helper is somebody you can depend on. I want to just brag on our church a little more. Sometimes I feel like I brag on our church too much. I don't want you guys to get arrogant or anything, but we're getting pretty good at this, helping. We're much better at this now than we were years ago. we still got ways to go, but we're getting better at it. Uh, to be a helper knows is to know when it's important to be there. You know that? To be a helper, you've got to be aware of people's lives enough to know at this time in their life, uh, I need to be there to help them. And to be a helper, you need to know when it's time to step up and do something you might not ordinarily do. To be a helper, you've got to see something that needs doing and be willing to do it, even though you might not would do that every day, you might not would do that with every person, but in this person's life, you have the ability to, to do that with them. Uh, I'm going to give you some examples. I'll, I'll save those. But she was... A helper who, would, who you could depend on. I'm going to give you three ways to be a helper. Number one, helping the hurting. Helping people who are hurting. First of all, you got to see people who are hurting, be aware of people who are hurting, and then you got to be willing to help out in any way you can. We recently, just a couple of weeks ago, we did a community funeral, and I'm just testifying, we've never had so much help as we had for that. Literally, my wife had to turn people away and say, no, there's already been enough cooked. There's already going to be enough people there. She was telling people, no, I don't think we've ever had to do that before. And, and what a blessing our church was through these people uh, to a family in the community who had, who had a death uh, that's helping the hurting. There's also, number two, helping the needy. Uh, there's lots of different needs. There's financial needs. There's spiritual needs. There's physical needs. I mean, just let the Spirit of God lead you. When somebody's going through something and they have a need, God's Spirit will direct you. It may say, give them $50. The Spirit may say, give them $200. I don't know. I've had people in our church give much more than that sometimes. Helping to spiritually, sometimes that can be saying what needs to be said, that it's true. 
Sometimes that can be encouraging somebody that you see is spiritually discouraged or needy in some capacity. Helping the physically needed, needy is sometimes somebody has a surgery, somebody has a sickness. Being there to help them when they're needy. And then the third one is helping uh, the celebrating. We're getting better at this one too. Uh, helping when a baby is born. Wow, you guys are cooking so good. We got good cooks in our church. Cooking so much when a baby is born. The testimony of the men to me are, on occasion, we need to have another baby because we got some good cooking. <laughs> whatever it takes, guys, whatever it takes. I uh, remember the greatest encouragement to my wife and I when you were there when we were celebrating and we needed help celebrating was when she got to ring her bell in her chemo treatment and practically all of you came and surprised her there it's a big deal when you get to ring the bell so you don't know that uh, when you, a lot of women going through chemo don't live to the end of their chemo that's why ringing the bell is a big deal they literally have to live long enough to get to ring the bell and it's a very emotional time because you're finished with that part of your fight and you guys came and a nurse snuck you in and, and I couldn't believe they let you in during COVID and this room is packed with people for Cindy to ring the bell and it was a great day of celebration and I'll never forget you say how do you help a celebration you be there you be there if you were there that day I hope you have something in your mind as I do it was a great day just celebrating and just by being there you helped with that celebration. I remind you in John chapter 15, verse 26, when Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you when I leave, do you remember what he calls the Spirit? He calls the Spirit the Helper. He says, I'm going to send the Helper to you from the Father when I leave. And I want you to have that mind of being a helper. is like the Spirit. It's like that presence of the Spirit that's there to do whatever needs to be done. As we left that day, and even when we see those nurses still, we still occasionally have to go back. You know what their, their words to us are? We've never seen anything like that before. These are chemo nurses, and their repeated words to us are, we had never seen anything like that before. So many people celebrating with you over your victory over cancer. They're crying. These nurses are crying. You would think they'd see that many times, but no. It took a loving church like this to make that display of love, of helping celebrate in that atmosphere. That's what the world needs to see. That's what this world needs to see. For, for us to be able to testify to the world about each other. Yeah, they were there when I needed this, or when I was hurting here, or when I was celebrating here. Where did all those people come from? That's my church family. They loved me. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ looks like and is to look like. Phoebe would be a model woman in the church. Oh, we need a little girl in the church named Phoebe, don't we? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word today. We pray that you would encourage us all to be stronger in these areas, in serving and loving and helping. 
in this church. Father, we praise you. I could have named many women here today who remind me of Phoebe as we study this. We praise you for what you're doing in our church. We pray that you continue to grow us to do better. Lord, let there not be discord among us. Let there be love and kindness and faithfulness. Let this church be a family-like atmosphere. Let this church be filled with people who will serve each other, serving the Lord, who will help each other, serving the Lord. Father, it is a beautiful picture. I pray that you would draw more people here who are hurting and need and need to experience the love of family like many of us have gotten to experience. And that you would bless them for being a part of this church. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and boy and girl here today that you would cause us to rise up and live more like Phoebe, serving and helping and loving on each other to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Thank you.